When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hi, Tom Bernard here. You're listening to Best of the Family. Enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw and Bryant. So what's the latest? The well, latest is we're representing people who are injured through no fault of their own. Uh, people come to us, we talk to them about what their rights are. We talk to them about things that, you know, adjusters would call them up and ask them about. And we represent people in order to get them justice for the injured. And have been for a long time. Very, very successful. No question. I, I, you know, I do meet a lot of your clients. They come up to me on the street and whatever, and they talk about this, that, or the other thing. And they both say... Why do you guys hang out with Doug Sprinthal? <laughs> and I just had no answer. For <laughs> he just looks away, you big baby. In any case, that's the whole deal. So people, they got any problem whatsoever, personal injury or other legal problems, whatever, they just reach out to Brad, Sean, Bryant. Yeah, Joe and I have both been president of the trial lawyers for the state. So we talk to people about all sorts of issues. The consultation is always free, and that's what we do. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean, Bryant. Tom here for my friends at Walzer Automotive Group with some exciting news. Walzer's rolling out Walzer Care on new and most used cars they sell in Minnesota. Well, Walzer Care is a powertrain warranty with coverage for 10 years or 150,000 miles. Powertrain coverage is like major medical coverage for your car. Engines, transmissions, all the really expensive stuff is covered. In addition, Walzer Care includes 24-hour roadside assistance. Lock your keys in your car, run out of gas, have a flat tire. Guess what? Walzer has your back. The best thing about Walzer Care, it's free with purchase. That's right, I said free. So, if you're shopping for a new or used Subaru, Honda, Nissan, Mazda, Toyota, Buick, GMC, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, Hyundai, or Chevrolet, see my friends at Walzer and get Walzer Care for free. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. Tom Bernard, Joe. Tim Lammers will join us uh, in a bit. Movies, 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 movies. Tom has no interest in most of them that come out now. Yeah, most they're pretty we, bad. Hey, we've had a good run. We have had a very good run. Oh, we you have, have yeah. to admit it. 
Yeah, you and I have together. Yeah, I watched nice movies. Kill Bill for the first time in like 15 years. Oh, you did. It's on Netflix now, so I was like, hey, why not? It's horrible. It's. I don't know. I thought they were kind of... Tarantino tried way too hard to make it like, you know, his yeah, magnum did. opus, and that did ruin a lot of the movie. But there were some parts of it. Main, I mean, there's really only one scene that anyone cares about, and that's the uh, Crazy 88 fight. I mean, like, how often do you hear people talk about anything except that, you know, where there's a whole, she's fighting a whole bunch of guys and they've all got swords and all that? That's the one thing that anyone remembers about that movie. And for good reason. Well, that's because it was so ridiculous. Yeah, that's what it was known for. Everything else was just like really stilted dialogue and. um, Was that the first movie? Uh, Probably not the first movie, but one of the first, like, big, big movies where a woman got the. Stuff kicked out of her, the stuffing. Yeah, maybe. What? Because I mean, she was beat oh, up pretty yeah. badly, and uh-huh. that was how long ago was that movie? Oh, I want to say fifteen-ish years. That's about right. Because you really never saw a woman getting, you know, beat up too much yeah. in movies. I mean, it would always be insinuated that her husband or her boyfriend, yeah. like like in a Streetcar Named Desire, you knew he was hitting her, but they never showed it. Well, right. they skirted that issue by having all of the um, people that beat her up that she's now hunting down be women. Because if they were men, people would freak out. Oh. Even though it's like, you know, they went after her with swords and guns. It's like, it doesn't matter what gender you are. You got a gun. That's true. But you whatever. Gotta, you got to watch out. I saw a movie on the airplane I forgot to tell you about, too. Um uh, my cousin Rachel. I don't know Did you ever one. see that? I have no idea. That was actually a, a very good movie too. It was, a, you know, like a a quieter movie, but it was it was very. I, I don't know. I thought it was really good. I what wonder if Lambers has seen it. It was about um, this guy, this kid that grew up with just an uncle who mm. was like a he hated women pretty much, and then all of a sudden he moved away and got married to this woman and. Um, then he died, and some I don't remember the why the boy he was all grown up and coming back, and he f- was infatuated with this with his cousin's wife, and she ended up moving back to England into the manor house. They apparently were fairly wealthy, and we don't know if she killed his uncle or if his uncle was mad and she had suffered under him. And then it, it just was very interesting. It was kind of like a a murder mystery without knowing if there was actually any murders. <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? I can't understand a word. That's because you were about. scrolling around on the internet and not no, listening to I, a word I, I, I said listened, as usual. I listened to everything you said. None of it made sense. Mike. You always fall Did for you that. understand what I said? You always fall for that. Oh, there's an English manor house. I better watch I do this. like an English true. manor house. You do. You love all no, that. No, it was a it was a very crap. it was a very good oh. story. <laughs> I do like an English manor house. You do. Okay, so it, it does it does take place in Cornwall. <laughs> yeah. But the lady is from Florence. Yeah, but but yeah, but the, it's all back pretty much in. I think England. so. Yes. Yeah. See. Yeah. And who, a, are the, who are who are the I, actors? Because I recognized some of them, but I don't know any of their names. I've never heard of any of them. Rachel Wise. Rachel Wise. Yeah. Sam yeah. Claflin, Ian Glenn, Holiday Ian Glenn. Granger, and Pier Francesco Favino. Never heard of any oh, of them except anyway, for Rachel Wise. It was good. I liked it. Because it has a manor house in it. That's why you it's like it. It's not the only reason why. I, the I, reason the why. countryside is, of course, gorgeous. Yeah. But the, the story was, you know, you just weren't sure who was 
the person at fault. There were things going on, and mm. you, d- you didn't know who did it. You still, at the end of the movie, you were like, um, so... Sounds like a very Englishy mystery. Yeah, it was. It was good. I thought it was good. So anyway. I have a question. Getting back to the beginning of the show, what fable is Kill Bill based on? I don't uh, think any fable. No, it is. It's, it's based on an old story mm. or an old fable, something like that. Little Red Riding And I cannot remember what it is. I mean, it's just someone going around killing people who tried to kill her. It's a pretty standard story in the in the um, Weren't there three of big them? picture. I know there two. was at least two. Yeah. There were two. Only two? And they were both horrible. Uh, they were big blockbusters. Blockbusters, weren't they? They made money. Uh, Kill Bill 1, yeah, made a lot of money. Mm-hmm. 30 million budget, 180 box office. That's always That's nice. Pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. Um, apparently, it was based on a Japanese movie. Yeah, see, I knew it. It's not a or fable. Or a fable. Well, I knew it was based on something it's like else. The opposite a Japanese of a fable. fable, maybe. Uh, now, just some movie called Lady Snowblood, which is the same thing. Lady Snowblood? Yes. It's, Sounds... it's the same movie, basically. Yeah. It right. even uses animation, like, intersplices. I knew that it wasn't his idea. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I knew that it wasn't it wasn't Quentin Tarantino's like idea. I can't stand him anymore. I wouldn't watch one of his movies to save my life. Yeah. He's always been kind of annoying, and now he's just uh, like you know, what a weird side to take. Here's another. Yeah, here's another definitely. pig. I wouldn't watch a movie he was in if he gave me money to do it. What? Who? Hollywood star Robert De Niro took aim at the Trump administration's stance on climate change, telling a packed audience in the Middle East. Of course, he's fiddling the, the Middle East much better people than we are. Don't forget that when they throw homosexuals off of buildings and kill women for driving. Yeah, and they're the ones that are supplying yeah. the oil yeah, for exactly. that's driving what climate a, change. What a joke he is. <laughs> yeah, if oil is the cause of climate change, yeah, then you're then. basically saying all of the things that you own, you're bad people for owning them. Right. Yeah, they and should be. apparently they were happy about that. Uh, Hollywood star Robert De Niro took aim at the Trump administration's stance on climate change, telling a packed audience in the Middle East that he was visiting from a backward country suffering from temporary insanity. <laughs> Don't come back. <laughs> Don't come back, you lame brain. What a sad loser. Oh, my God. These guys will do anything uh, to get in the paper. Yes, they will. Anything, anything at all. Anything to land it. Look, he hasn't made a good movie in about 20 oh, years. Oh, my God. He just stinks lately. He's terrible now. Yeah, Let's do another is. dead grandpa or whatever the name of that oh, crap Grumpy was. Old man? No, no, that's, that's not, not it. it. He said it in the country he's describing, the head of the Environmental Protection Agency suggested last week that global warming may be a good thing for humanity. I'm talking about my own country, the United States of America. We don't like to say we are a backward country, so let's just say we're suffering from a case of temporary insanity, he added. Mm-hmm. De Niro received applause and laughs when he said the U.S. will eventually cure itself by voting our dangerous leader out of office. This pig goes to the Middle East and rips the United States. Then we got Keith Ellison sitting there while that woman from Pakistan was ripping the United States. He's laughing and applauding. Leave then. Go move somewhere else, both you pigs. God, I I just, Uh, what is wrong with A country that has voted him in. That's good. Yeah. And supports him people. completely as a mm-hmm. politician yeah. as an, and as a representative that's it. of the people. And he's, he's uh, that's just sad. Look, I'm just telling you, all of these people, like Robert De Niro, you're a total failure of a guy. You were in about four good movies and the rest of them, hey, look, the, the movies you were in, I loved. 
you know, Raging Bull I loved, and I loved, obviously, uh, Godfather Part Two, and there were a couple other ones, and the rest of them are all terrible. You haven't made a good movie in, seriously, in 10 years, and you're desperate to get your name in the paper, so calling your, your country backward in the Middle East, yeah, well, the forward-thinking Middle Eastern people, uh-huh. Seriously, don't come back. Just stay there. Well, stay in Dubai. That's part of the problem with these aging actors. They're Ugh. just trying so hard to stay relevant in an in an industry that worships youth. Well, they could like yeah. make movies. Yeah, look they at, could write at, something that was relevant. Yeah, exactly. Look at um, Keanu Reeves. He's got to be at least fifty by now, and he's he just made uh, that right. one. Tim's he to he rang us. like once and then stopped. I don't know. Try uh, harder. Um, and he just made what? What was that movie called? Dog Killer. Yes, part Dog six. Killer. Oh, you mean uh, what the hell is the name of that? Just made part two of it. I liked it. I cannot think of what it's called. I can't either. There we go. Now we got Tim, I believe. Well, we got Tim Lammers. Do Tim, we? are you there? Apparently not. Hello, Tim. Timmy. U.S. and international media went gaga over North Korea's Princess Kim Yo Young. Well, the audio's going in, so... Despite her family... The audience really doesn't want to hear about what's going on with the phone. Well, we got to get... Don't they? Don't they want to hear? No, they don't, don't want Do they to not hear. want to hear? What if I do this? There. Are you there? Probably not. I don't know. Anyway, let me read this story. U.S. and international media went gaga over North Korea's Princess Kim Yo-young, despite her family's role in a massive ongoing system of political oppression that has tortured and killed millions over the decades. Uh, CNN, The New York Times, Washington Post, ABC, and Reuters were all criticized for surprisingly cheery depictions of Kim and the North Korean cheer squad dispatched to the Winter Olympics in South Korea. Without a word, only flashing smiles, Kim Jong, uh, Kim Jong-un, sister, outflanked Vice President Mike Pence in diplomacy. A New York Times tweet read, The tweet got an overwhelmingly negative response in replies. Is the newspaper of record really this susceptible to charm and propaganda from murderous dictatorships? Yes. Reminder, there are currently over 100,000 prisoners enslaved in North Korea. What what do you guys think it is? And I'm very serious to answer this. Why do you think the far, far left, and it's not Democrats. These are the far, far left nut jobs. Why do they hate America so much? They hate themselves so much. It's unbelievable. Why do you think that is? I think it is a self-hate thing. Yeah, it has well, to be. No, no question. They it's feel a self-hate guilty, thing. so they yeah. have to. They yeah, feel it's like a guilt situation. Yeah, they feel like they don't deserve it, so they have to destroy it to make themselves feel better. They, honest to God, are cheering on a woman whose family is responsible for killing tens of millions of people, enslaving people, uh, starving people to death, in, including a, a, a United States citizen, Mister Warm Beer. They don't. They're just your. Oh, she's so wonderful. She's so great. She makes Pence look so bad. It's just under. <laughs> what is wrong with you people? I have a question though. What? It, I don't know anything about her. I, Nobody seriously, knows I've about never her. heard a word about her in my life until or, this Olympic thing. I saw. Are you about Yo Jong? Yeah. Kim Yo Jong? Yeah, she's got our Wikipedia article here. Is she is she against what her country is doing? No. And is she a champion nope. of... She's the director of the Propaganda and Agitation Department. So and agitation. I would say <laughs> probably not. So I want my title to be that. Director of Agitation. agitation. That's me yep. for Dad. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the director yeah, of Agitation for Dad. 
That's true. I should be director of agitation. You guys should be director of agitating me. Well, the problem is, is that you are the director of agitation, but you refuse to own up to it. Okay, tip of the cap to Jake Tapper, who is, you know, he's a, no, see, he's like a, a lefty, but he's not a nut job, far, far lefty like some of these people are. He's not a West Coast lefty. Yeah, I guess that's it. And again, I'm not any big fan of far, far righties either. You people on the edges are nuts. On the far right just doesn't have any voice or power, so who cares about what they're doing right now? So tip of the cap to Jake Tapper, who said, if you hate U.S. leaders more than you hate the Kim Jong-un regime, you really need to read up on North Korea. Uh, I couldn't agree with him more. I mean, this is a woman who watched her brother murder her other brother and did nothing about it. They murdered their other brother. They they fed their uncle to dogs. Well, she's got a lot going for her. Yeah, apparently she just she's She's not white, and she's not a man. Well, no, that's it. She's not male, and she's not white. So and She's an attractive... Well, I suspect it's fear. I mean, if she says anything, they'll feed her to the dogs, too. Well, there, there's that. But, but well, they I'm... don't have any power in South Korea. No, they do not. I, I just can't believe that the United States is jumping through its butt... These writers for these pig newspapers, like the, the uh, seriously, the Washington Post, uh, the BBC, articles from the Washington Post and the BBC that compared Kim to Ivanka Trump were vilified for, uh, vilified for similar re- reasons. While Trump's youngest daughter does advise his White House in some capacity, Kim actively runs the propaganda department that aggrandizes her brother's regime. Within North Korea, rejection of the propaganda espoused by Kim can result in a death sentence. So if you don't like what she writes, she'll have you killed. Isn't she wonderful? Is this well, unbelievable? Well, so much about being afraid of what will happen to her. Yeah. She's complicit either way. <laughs> exactly. Don't get me wrong. I mean, whether she agrees or not, the, the fact that she knows it goes on makes her complicit. Uh, but the, how crazy have some white people gotten? You've lost Psychotic. your minds. We will be back right after this. Tom Bernard Show. Tom Bernard here, and here with me is the CEO of North American Banking Company, Michael Bilski. Tell me, Michael, I was reading on your website about a customer near where I grew up, North Minneapolis. They were specifically looking for a community bank. That's right, Tommy, Prestige Products. They had been with another community bank, but when their bank was acquired by a large regional bank, the owner felt like they were just seeing his business for the numbers on the page and not really understanding his long-term plans. So he met with a number of community banks in the area, including us. Luke at our branch in Shoreview met with the owner, they hit it off, and Prestige Products chose to work with us. Incidentally, their favorite part of working with Luke is that he gets excited about the same things that are important to them. Having a clear understanding of your long-term goals makes for a great relationship and our difference maker for your business. Why not bank with my banker? North American Banking Company, a better banking experience. Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. Tom Bernard here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Cataract. There's no better time than now to ditch your contacts and pitch your glasses. Whiting Clinic is the place I trusted to do this for me, and it's not just me. There's a reason Whiting Clinic is the number one LASIK practice in the United States. Dr. Whiting's unsurpassed experience, the most advanced Contura laser technology, and lifetime coverage are all backed by Whiting Clinic's best price guarantee. Being the experts they are, they wanted to make sure you have the very best for your eyes, just like I did. Call now for Whiting Clinic's $500 off LASIK savings. If you're like me... 
not a big fan of glasses and contact lenses, then it's time you found out if you're a candidate for LASIK. And Whiting Clinic is definitely the place to go. Call 855-554-2020 today or visit whitingclinic.com to set up your free LASIK consultation. Remember to tell them that I sent you and save $500 on your LASIK. Offer good for a limited time. Call Whiting Clinic for details. Good for both eyes only. Cannot be combined with any other offer. So basically, we've covered the some of the psychosis in the first segment, but in the second segment, there's more psychosis <laughs> because apparently people can't tell the difference between a cartoon and real life. Oh, we're talking about Peter Rabbit. Yes. Mm. What about Peter Rabbit? What is wrong with people? Tim, oh, the you know movie? all about this. Well, yeah, I, I sent Catherine an article. The filmmakers that now have officially apologized. Oh. It's just... I mean, you know, they do know Peter Rabbit isn't supposed to be, like, a good guy, right? I mean, he's like, he's a little fluffy bunny, but he's also, you know, his entire life is based on uh, ruining everyone else's day. Right. So, you know, it's not like they're saying... If yeah. if him if the Blackberry scene is them saying, you know, it's okay to bully kids with allergies, then the rest of the movie is saying it's okay to, you know, steal food from other people and beat up their cat. Right. People need to learn what context is. I will read this to you, and then I want to get Tim's take on the whole thing. If you're wondering why there's a hashtag to boycott a new children's movie, ask parents of kids with allergies, the BBC reports on the pushback against Sony Pictures' Peter Rabbit, which includes a scene in which Mr. McGregor, who's allergic to blackberries, gets the fruit hurled at him by the title character and his bunny pals. One berry ends up in McGregor's mouth, causing him to go into anaphylactic shock and forcing the use of his EpiPen. I'm pretty sure Beatrix Potter will be turning in her grave about now. One of uh, one mom of a child with allergies tells the New York Times, she notes allergies are already often dismissed or ignored by people who aren't affected by them, oh and that to have them trivialized on the big screen by such a popular character is immensely disappointing. It's the point of the character. Your life is so hard, isn't it, lady? It's just unbelievable. And not I to mean, mention oh. Beatrix Potter, the um, the woman who wrote the book where Peter Rabbit got captured, and then his father rescued him. And in order in order to punish him for getting captured, he hit him with a switch in the book. Yeah, so he beats the kid. Is that a is that a whole lot well, worse than throwing blackberries at someone? Well, and I'm here to tell you, Andy, as a child, had terrible allergies. He didn't have like the peanut allergy and all that yeah. life threatening stuff. Yeah. But you were a pretty you were pretty miserable most of the time oh, going yeah. outside as a, a kid. And if I watched this movie with you, I'd be like, uh, has nothing to do with my kid. Yeah, it's it's context. It's well, not yes. they're not saying that it's okay to do. And no. the original Peter right. Rabbit books are awful. Like yeah. they're was super a jerk. they're super like dark and weird. Uh-huh. Like a friend gave them to me on tape to listen to in the car when Fawn was born as like a shower gift. And we listened to them, I'm like, these are horrible. Like these are not oh. child appropriate. I tried to read those stories to you guys as as kids and, and they're just they're horrible to read even yeah like they're marrying their cousins and having kids and i know understand that it's like rabbits but it's like <laughs> there's it take place in the it's rabbits yeah but i mean I know it's a cartoon right 
Well, it must be an awful movie, too, because they didn't screen it for critics last week. Oh. So oh, that really? tells you a lot, too. But, you know, people are, you know, obviously, again, Andy's right. It's the context of things. People are so touchy. I remember, um, I guess it would have been the first Avengers movie, so we're talking like 2013. And there was a big hubbub because uh, Thor was defending Loki and saying, you know, I love him, he's my brother, and blah, blah, blah. And they go on and say, uh, yeah, but he just killed a lot of people, to which Thor responds, he's adopted. And people just lost their minds, and I thought it was hilarious. And this is coming from a guy whose mother was adopted, who has adopted a child himself. It's funny. Right. You cannot take it seriously. It's funny stuff. It's a movie, people. Exactly. You know, it's just amazing. You just, now even fiction, you know, big screen fiction, you can't do anything without somebody losing their minds over it. It's just crazy. Well, it's easier to be offended than it is to understand what's going on. I mean, you can just get offended at anything and then, it's oh, the default see, now. yeah, that, so I, I, I saw it and I, I was offended, not, you know, uh, I saw it and this is what I thought about it. Well, here's the problem. I mean, obviously the show today so far, we've talked about, uh, about Kim Jo Young. And how everybody, Kim Yo Young, and everybody thinks she's so wonderful. She's a murderer, first of all. Uh, then we talked about Robert De Niro going to the Middle East, bad-mouthing America as a backwards country. You got Keith Ellison, who's sitting on, uh, on stage and applauding, when I believe the woman was from Pakistan who was ripping the United States, saying this is a country that was founded by slaughtering the, uh, the, the native people. Name me a country that wasn't. Is there a country that, that was founded that didn't slaughter the native people? It's pretty much how the world was for exactly millennial. But there's millennial. Keith is anybody going to play that little clip of Robert De Niro on Saturday Night Live making fun of all the uh, Middle Eastern names? Oh, Hajit Madrores. Yeah, that's what he called. Yeah, him how that. about that, Bobby? I, Boy, I, that guy. You know, it's amazing. Uh, and I, I, I caught a headline. I don't even remember what it was. But I remember thinking to myself, this was only yesterday. I was thinking, God, I used to admire this guy. Yeah, I know. But he has just turned into this crabby old, you know, let's, he's, you know, again, it's just right to say whatever he wants to say, whatever. But when you drag it into your work, and your work has just gotten to be so terrible. Right, it's terrible. With, you know, the uh, bad grandpas of the world and those sorts of films. It's like, I used to admire him so much. And while Al Pacino does crappy movies still at least he stays out of it i yeah, still yeah. i love right. pacino still yeah but yep. boy de niro boy he's certainly gone south no it is it, apparently the older he gets the worse he treats people he works with to a, i guess he's just a jerk to work with now so mm. I, I don't know what it, meryl streep i didn't know this is going you're lying you're a flat-out liar you knew yeah it was that happening. that to me is one of the most ridiculous things out of this whole uh, Weinstein thing is I I didn't know yeah. I didn't I was shocked oh come on you know come on again if you didn't hear it directly some one of your handlers did one of your managers one of oh, your yeah. publicists somebody heard it and somebody said something to you so, I, I just cannot believe that she wants us to believe that she's totally you know right uh, oh yeah I'm, I'm oblivious to this so here's basically the deal is America perfect no. But here's who I like. I like like Democrats and centrists and Republicans. The rest of you, you're crazy. You, you're so far gone with all this stuff. I just, uh, you go out of your way to hate 
everything about America, and I, and I, I just don't understand it. I don't get it. What, what, where's, where's there a, a spot that's better? What's better? Tell me, because I don't know it. Other parents and advocacy groups agree the film with James Corden voicing Peter is partaking in allergy bullying. Per fortune, Kenneth Mendez, president of the Asthma and Allergy Foundation of America, penned an open letter to the filmmakers and Sony noting that we strongly urge you refrain from the type of programming that mocks food allergies in the future. Mendez also points out that Sony has portrayed food allergies as a punchline before in children's films, citing one of the Smurfs movies and uh, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs as two examples. Per the AP, Sony has issued a joint statement with the filmmakers apologizing for the scene, admitting the film shouldn't have made light of the character's allergy, even in a cartoonish slapstick way. Can you make fun of anything um, anymore? But, I mean, did they make light of it? The guy had a bad reaction and had to use an EpiPen. It's, that sounds pretty serious to me. God, I just, the whole thing is so ridiculous. Well, okay, here's the thing. As somebody that does have food allergies, none of mine are, mm-hmm. you know, I won't die from any of them or whatever. I don't right. need an EpiPen, but I do have food allergies. It is, it's irritating when you hear people go to restaurants and they're like, oh, I'm gluten-free. Does that have gluten in it? Blah, blah, blah. But then they're like throwing back beers during dinner. Right. But they can't have gluten in their pasta. Or like, oh, I'm allergic to tomatoes. If there's tomatoes in it, I can't have it. And then they're dunking their fries in ketchup. It's like that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Like that kind of stuff undermines because it's like I go to restaurants and I'm like, are there bell peppers in this dish? Because I actually yeah, have a problem. Like it's not like I just don't like bell peppers. So I'm just going to say I'm allergic to them because then they won't put them in. Because a lot of people do do that. So there are a lot of, and mm-hmm. I can understand from the perspective of if your kid could die from eating a peanut. Yeah, it's different. That's probably, I mean, I nannied for a family and the oldest son had a life threatening peanut allergy and everywhere he went she was like okay remember you have one EpiPen in your pocket and the other two are in your bag and you can't eat anything at the birthday party your special brownie is in your backpack blah 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 and so it's like they spend their entire lives trying to avoid them even coming in contact with these things so it's like I don't know. It's a very emotionally charged situation because it's life or death of your child. So these people are just reacting out of like fear and upset that they have to live with every day that their child might come in contact with something that could kill them. Yeah. You know, I can admire that perspective. But, you know, at the same time, uh, obviously, if it were a live action film where some bullies were doing it to a kid and, and, and the filmmaker was trying to make a light of it. That's an entirely different situation. Yeah. Yes. This is a, a, a CGI character, and, you know, they yes, they, they, they took advantage of the allergy, but yet at the same time the character did treat itself with an EpiPen. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know. I just, I just think that people are just so touchy. And, 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 again, I'm not coming from that perspective as a parent with a child with allergies, so maybe they did react differently. So, I have a question. Yeah, it's, it's hard to say. Is anybody allergic to blackberries? Anybody Probably. can be allergic sure. to anything, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm sure there's someone out there who's got some weird blackberry allergy. Yeah. You know that when I was a kid, I didn't know one person that had an allergy? That's because Nobody. food was and actual food poor. when you were a kid. Well, and see, that's what I think the problem is. Now it's all genetically modified food, and that's what caused the problem. Why aren't we going off to these people who did this? 
Because it's easier to because just give ever, people an EpiPen and be like, ooh. Oh, that costs, what, $700 now? Yeah, now. Yeah, that's, yeah. I, I, the that's whole the thing, thing people should be getting upset about. Exactly. The people who changed our food to the point. We were talking this morning to, to the bat man, you know, uh, not, you know, bat dash man. He studies bats and all the rest of it. And he said that people used to plant three seeds whenever they planted things like corn. They'd plant one for the, uh, for the humans, one for the blight, and one for... Um, the animals? Yeah, the, what are they called again? We go in, the pollinators. Oh, the They'd plant one for the pollinators, one for the humans, one for the blight. But now we plant one for the uh, humans. You know why we don't plant the other two? Because the corporations don't want to spend the money to do it. Uh, how much more money is it going to cost for you to plant three seeds instead of one? Three times. Three times as much? Well, yeah. Oh, boy. Well, that's <laughs> quite the increase. Well, you also have to have more land. Yeah. Well, you don't have to have more land. Sure. If you're going to plant three, every plant needs its own space to grow. Otherwise, they get overcrowded and then something's going to die off. So, so people can be allergic to everything. Yes. There's not anything out there that people, can't, that the people aren't allergic to. Nope. I, there I don't are, know. Cause there I don't know. Foods, I've never had an allergy. There know. are foods that are less likely to have people allergic to them, but there can still be people. Mm-hmm. Like flax seeds is one of the foods that it's like it's pretty much like people don't have allergy to flax seeds. But then I just was talking to somebody that has a deathly allergy to flax seeds. I like my brother Terry, he had two episodes where his uh, – he. He broke out into hives and his throat started closing and had to be rushed to the hospital. He has no idea what it was mm-hmm. and has never had an episode since. So was it something he ate? Was it something he yeah. breathed in? Was it something he came into contact with? Who knows? No one's ever going to know. Well, it's pretty interesting that, that you know, because I know people, I, the first allergies I ever came across were people who were allergic to seafood. Yeah, yeah, that, that's been around a long time. That's been around a long time. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anybody was allergic to peanuts or any of the rest of it. And I grew up in the poorest neighborhood in the state of Minnesota. You would think well, you couldn't afford peanuts. Well, if you were a, <laughs> we if you were peanuts. deathly allergic to peanuts back then, you died. That's yeah, but just nobody how it ever was. died. You, I don't think everyone told you about every time they had a baby that died. Well, most of the kids that I knew that died were making pipe bombs. Oh, jeez. So, well, that's true. They're making pipe can bombs ask, with match heads. Can I ask Tim about something? Well, we can ask him in the next segment. Okay. Because the segment's about about. Uh, I'm hoping to up. be vindicated. But, look, nobody wants to make fun of anybody. It's a cartoon, however. Yeah. And is the guy with the allergy, is it, is it a human comic character, or is it the fox, or who is it? Does anybody it's, even know? It's a, it's a a CGI character, I think. I, again, I, I wasn't able to see it, but that's what I'm reading. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, so so Mr. McGregor is a is a human man. Yes, I think yes. that's the a, farmer, right? Well, he's who's the, allergic to blackberries. Yeah, and he or the neighbor. Oh, he so starts it, dating Peter it Rabbit. It is a human character that's allergic. Yes, and he starts dating he starts, Peter Rabbit's mom. And who starts dating Peter Rabbit's mom? Mr. McGregor. So it's okay to bang rabbits, but not the... No, his, his human mom. Uh, Peter Rabbit has a human mom. His, like, owner, then, I guess. Oh, okay. I, mom is not the word you wanted. Well, Sorry. Good, I'm totally lost on this one. I'm like, what Sorry. are you talking about? We'll be back. More with Tim Lammers right after this.
Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Right now, Sabre and Bryant are teaming up to offer 0% financing for 36 months when you buy a new Bryant furnace. This is the perfect time to replace your old furnace with a new trouble-free, energy-efficient furnace from Sabre. And when you buy Bryant equipment, you're getting one of the most trusted names in the industry. This 0% offer is available for a limited time. Call Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning to find out more, and please tell them that Tom sent you. Saber and Bryant, whatever it takes. Northern Metal Fab right off the interstate in Baldwin, Wisconsin, is a custom job shop specializing in large-scale projects. Northern Metal Fab is now hiring for all positions, including welders, painters, and inspectors, to provide quality craftsmanship to their customers. Northern Metal Fab is growing, and their growth is your opportunity. Northern Metal Fab offers competitive pay, excellent benefits, and more. Apply online today at nmfinc.com. That's nmfinc.com. Northern Metal Fab is an equal opportunity employer. Is everybody just freaking out over everything? Is that I'm freaking out right now, man. Freaking out, man. All right, out, uh, Catherine had a question for Tim Lambert. Have you seen my cousin Rachel? No, I have not. But, uh, but who, uh, I'm, I'm aware of the movie. Who, who's in it? Rachel Wise. Rachel Weiss. Rachel no, I Weiss. have not. I thought it was up for some Academy Awards. Uh, I mean, you know, it's possible. Did, did you see it on a screener or something? I saw it on the airplane. Okay, yeah. I, you know, no. I, I mean, I'm, I've, I've heard of it, but it's a, it's an indie film. With you're right with Rachel Weiss, and that's. All I know, I'm I'm afraid. All right. Well, Why I thought you... it was good, but Tom is making fun of me because he thinks I only <laughs> liked it because there was a manor house. Oh, there's a British countryside and there's a manor house. He's one of those. I guess I should have ah, been a country manor house kind of person. Yes, exactly. I also did see that Mike Bryant gave us, uh, Catherine and I, a shout-out yeah. after seeing I, Tanya mm-hmm. and loving it. Yeah, it was great. That was a really good movie. I think yeah, that's so. the surprise film of the year. Oh, no question. Yeah. I mean, because, again, you know, when you look at the history of Tanya Harding, it's not the sort of, you know, and she's not exactly a warm character in the picture either. But No. no. Um, it's not the, it, you know, it doesn't sound to me to be the sort of film you want to run out and see, but, boy, once you, you know, even if you get a, a, a look at the trailer, you're going to say, wow, this, this is something definitely different. And then it just totally blows your mind when you see the picture itself. So, yeah, so yeah. Mike uh, sent a tweet out. When you, and, uh, uh, when you recommended it to us, I don't know, a few months ago, I think, um, I was like, ugh, Tanya Harding, that story's been told so many times. How can this be new? Right. Yeah, and it tells a story of her that a lot of us didn't know about. Nope. And again, if you want a great companion piece, and I'm hoping it's on Hulu, but ABC did a special on uh, Tanya, and it, it was sort of framed within. It started off with her going to the premiere of the film, and then it went and told the backstory, and then ended with her, you know, going to the premiere and, and the reactions to the film and all that sort of stuff. But that documentary, or whatever you want to call it, two-hour special on ABC, had the real mom. Lavana Golden and uh, Allison Janney isn't too far off the mark there. No, that's <laughs> what I hear. She was, of, yeah, it was perfect. 
Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, again, yeah, I screened the thing and it was like, uh, actually first time I, I, only time I've seen it was around the Thanksgiving, but the problem with the movie like that was it really needed to be, you know, promoted through word of mouth and through mm-hmm. award season because it's such of a small film. Then I'm glad that it's out there where people are seeing it in theaters because again, it's well worth it. It is. Yeah, absolutely. It is really, really a good movie. And then we saw another movie, Christopher Robin. Goodbye, Christopher Goodbye, Robin. Christopher Robin. Yeah, that's a couple years old, though. Yeah. And that Very was good. Actually, too. you know what? It came out last fall. Well, that's right. It came out in 2017. But it, it came and went like, boom. It, yeah. was, it just didn't last. It didn't last. So I, I didn't see it myself, but you know, it sounds like it's in the same vein of um, a wonderful film from about 12 years ago. No, more than that, 14 years ago called Finding Neverland, right. which Johnny Depp played the uh, uh, writer of Peter Pan. Right. J.M. Barry. Mm-hmm. And uh, you find out behind the scenes that things weren't quite as rosy as, you know, how could a guy who wrote Peter Pan have such of a, a life like this? But uh, from what I'm understanding, that's sort of the, the case with this, too, with Goodbye, Christopher Robin. Yeah, A.A. A. Milne, they don't really bring it up in the movie, but he was actually a spy, wasn't he? Was he? Yeah, oh, I, I didn't know that. I believe A.A. Milne, Milne was a spy in World War One. I'm not sure. Well, I don't know about a spy, but he had some, I don't know, some undercover role that, that very few people knew about. But uh, it was very, yeah, it was very good, very well acted. But guess where it took place? And Catherine really loved it because it took place at an English manor house. <laughs> you God. liked it, too. You and your What's English manor throwing me under home. the bus. I think that Catherine is trying to drop a hint there, Tom, that she wants an English manor house. Yeah, apparently we're going to be moving to England. Read between the lines. Well, no, you're right. You're absolutely moving. No, I even looked it up in the in the woods that it was uh, that uh, was originally written about. They're still there and largely untouched. Yeah, five hundred acre wood. A hundred acre wood. A hundred acre wood. Yeah. No, I know. Well, it's actually actually five hundred acres, but yeah. Dan is. Yeah, hundred acre sounds better. Yeah. Dan is determined to think to something cheerier. What uh, did you you were going to see the fifteen to seventeen of Paris, or you you didn't see it yet? I have not seen it yet, but I definitely will see it because people think it's too pro-American. So I will definitely very proudly go see five fifteen seventeen to Paris, where Americans saved everybody. Well, here's a little uh, another little blurb from Rotten Tomatoes for you because there are plenty like this. This is from the Hindustan Times, oh, of course, where the is. writer says. Who needs real actors when all Clint Eastwood wants to make is propaganda? Oh, God. Yeah, because (laughs) nobody in India, no, nobody in India ever makes propaganda. Don't forget that. No, you're all perfect. Yeah, yeah. You know, again, this is an international uh, film writer, uh, reviewer, whatever. But I think he needs to be reminded that the French celebrated these guys. Yeah. And actually, that's one of the more emotional parts of the film, because they take that actual footage. I'm sure Clint couldn't get the French president to redo his mm-hmm. part in this whole thing, so mm-hmm. they took the actual footage from there. And uh, I, that's really emotional stuff, the things he says about everybody coming together. And, right, right. Oh, God, God. Again, it's just so emotional. And that's what's maddening about a picture like that, is that you can sit there and weep at a film. And then you think that, oh, my God, I think everybody's going to love this. And it turns out that, in terms of critics, that everybody hates it. And, and, and you sit there baffled and wondering why. How could you 
how could you try to take this story down a notch in any sort of way? It, it's just still baffling to me. Is there anything in the movie they lie about? Because from what I understand, the events that happened in the movie actually happened in real life. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, right. I mean, I yeah, I didn't do a Hollywood versus history right. comparison. Right. But one thing I did not tell you um, last week on KQ, and we were talking about this is, and we actually talked about, Andy looked this information up, about him charging at the the terrorist, the, the gunman with the AK-47, right. which jammed. And they, in great detail, show how he almost, uh, Spencer Stone, almost got his thumb cut off. Right. Yet... Yet, after they subdued this guy, choked him out, and you know tied him up, there was one shooting victim. He got shot in the neck and is bleeding out. Uh-huh. And Spencer Stone, even with his thumb hanging off, removes the shirt from his back to compress the wound and hold it to save this man's life. So, again, this is a guy that not only took the guy down almost single-handedly, right. because he, his right. friends were, you're going to love it. When they, when they go after this guy, boy, they really... And it was a tough fight. It wasn't an easy deal where he tackled him and he, down he goes. I mean, it was a struggle. Uh-huh. And uh, But, again, Stone was like the, the guy that charged after him. And, again, the aftermath of that, realizing that somebody's dying and all the people around, all these people Eastwood brought in, they were all the real people. So the shooting victim actually reenacted his part as well. And his relatives and the people sobbing and crying, you knew that it came from a place of real pain, they were so afraid that this man was going to die. I mean, again, it is so flip and emotional. Right. And, um, yeah, you can't help but be moved by that, and at the same time, can't help but be angry about it when people are calling it propaganda and and too pro-American and all those sorts of criticisms. I mean, I don't listen to critics. I'm not going to let them decide for me, but... Some people do, and that and that bothers me. Well, here's what I love in, in about this it. Case, it really bothers me. What I love is you said that it was from the Hindustan Times, mm. right? Something like that. Yeah. Okay. Well, why don't we write articles about how you and China are destroying the atmosphere on the Earth? That India and China <laughs> do nothing about global warming or pollution, and they're going to criticize America? Really? Okay. Why don't you have about a billion more people? Uh, on your continent there. Yeah, I just love these people. They, they, they criticize America over and over and over again about this, that, and the other thing. Uh, America props up until, you know, look, and I, I'll tell people all the time, I'm not any great supporter of Trump either, but we were paying for everything to try to improve the Earth's atmosphere while China and India did nothing but kick pollution into high gear. As mm-hmm. part of the Paris Accord. Yes, we're part of that. Well, you're not doing anything, so I don't know. That's just the whole problem. Yeah. Uh, look, let's let's be honest about it. Your countries look like puke holes compared to the United <laughs> States, and that's what your problem is. <laughs> oh, oh. Well, I'm just doing uh, well, you know, Sound a little sorry. Trumpish the there. No, Trumpish you know. my ass. <laughs> <laughs> I here's here's the thing, you know, people, and I've said it several times in the show, but you know, there, obviously, there's more and more listeners every time. I'm I'm with Tom. I I don't belong to either party. I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a Republican. Nope. Um, I'm not a Trump supporter. Um, but I am certainly proud to be an American. And there's nothing wrong with being proud to be where you are from. No. And it is, again, it's baffling when you see all this self hatred. I just don't get it. I mean, we are so lucky to be where we are I agree 
I agree. So that that's the thing. It's like, oh well, you know, he's Lammers all jingoistic and everything. Well, not you know. I'm just proud to be who I am and where I live, and I'm proud to see these guys stepping up when they didn't have to. Exactly. I mean, selflessly running down with an AK-47 running down this aisle. I mean, come on, what are the odds of that thing jamming on that guy no, and him no, just yeah, not getting right. taken down? You're right. Very, very slim. So how could you not be proud of the guys? And, yeah, they happen to be, you know, serving the military, and, yes, I happen to be a big supporter of the military, but that's kind of beside the point. You get everyday heroes that aren't military guys. You get first responders yeah. oh, that yeah. aren't military men yep. and women. So. Yep. You know, there are a lot of people that we can be proud of, and we really need to celebrate those people instead of trying to find a way to, to you know, in an underhanded sort of way, rip movies like this. That's mm-hmm. just bothersome to me. I agree. Well, you'll love this story. You got me all whipped up again, Tom. Well, I'm going to get you even more whipped up with this story. NBC continues to suffer fallout from its coverage of the opening ceremony in Pyeongchang at the Olympics, with the network issuing an apology on behalf of an analyst who sparked controversy. You know how the analysts sparked controversy? They praised Japan. Joshua, <laughs> I'm not making this up. Joshua Cooper Ramo on Friday called Japan a country which occupied Korea from 1910 to 1945, but every Korean will tell you that Japan is a cultural, technological, and economic example that has been so important to their own transformation. Cooper Ramo's statement as New York Times notes, Times notes, uh, while acknowledging that Japan occupied the Korean Peninsula, appeared to glaze over the long troubled relationship between Japan and the Koreas and sparked immediate outrage in the Olympics host nation, South Korea. An online petition demanding an apology currently has more than 10,000 signatures and reads thusly. Any reasonable person familiar with the history of Japanese imperialism and the atrocities it committed before and during World War II would find such a statement deeply hurtful and outrageous. NBC apologized on air Saturday via anchor Carolyn Mano, who said, we understand the Korean people were insulted by these comments and we apologize. Well, it wasn't exactly... uh, like Japan was nice to the United States in that little thing called Pearl Harbor either, but we got over it. Well, yeah, I mean, how long did it take Japan to get over the fact that we nuked them? Yeah, like we, a month? Exactly. They got over it pretty quick, uh, so maybe bygones can be bygones in this case. I just love the fact that we... we I, I remember what happened 500 years ago. I know. I mean, come on. Like, how many of you were even alive for World War Two? And Cor- Korea... I mean, were they really even that uh, big of a player in World War II? Mm, I don't really know. No, they were occupied. Uh, but the problem that they have over there, and I'm not. this is not a criticism, this is just a fact, that China and Japan and both North and South Korea don't get along and never have. No. They've never gotten along. All three of them, yeah. They, China and Korea both see Japan as like the... Uh, well, they see Japan like all the other white countries see the United States, like the big, bad, you know, mean guy. Right, right, exactly. So, I don't know. We're, these first two segments of today's uh, first hour were just, or actually the entire first hour, basically is just saying, shut up and leave us alone. That's it. That's, you know, shut up and leave us alone. That's pretty good, isn't it? You know what I think, Tom? You're the director of agitation. Yes, I'm the director. I have a new title called yes, the director of agitation. If you only knew. I think I'm we all let's Kim start a Yo division Jones. of agitation so we can all be directors of or co-directors of agitation. That works for me. 
All right. Thank you. We'll be back the second hour. Right. Tom Bernard Show. Tom here from my friends at Walzer Automotive Group with some exciting news. Walzer's rolling out Walzer Care on new and most used cars they sell in Minnesota. Well, Walzer Care is a powertrain warranty with coverage for 10 years or 150,000 miles. Powertrain coverage is like major medical coverage for your car. Engines, transmissions, all the really expensive stuff is covered. In addition, Walzer Care includes 24-hour roadside assistance. Lock your keys in your car, run out of gas, have a flat tire. Guess what? Walzer has your back. The best thing about Walzer Care, it's free with purchase. That's right, I said free. So, if you're shopping for a new or used Subaru, Honda, Nissan, Mazda, Toyota, Buick, GMC, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, Hyundai, or Chevrolet, see my friends at Walzer and get Walzer Care for free. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw and Bryant. So what's the latest? The well, latest is we're representing people who are injured through no fault of their own. Uh, people come to us. We talk to them about what their rights are. We talk to them about things that, you know, adjusters would call them up and ask them about. And we represent people in order to get them justice for the injured. And have been for a long time. Very, very successful. No question. I, I, you know, I do meet a lot of your clients. They come up to me on the street and whatever, and they talk about this, that, or the other thing. And they both say... Why do you guys hang out with Doug Sprinthal? <laughs> and I just had no answer. For <laughs> he just looks away, you big baby. In any case, that's the whole deal. So people, they got any problem whatsoever, personal injury or other legal problems, whatever, they just reach out to Brad, Sean, Bryant. Yeah, Joe and I have both been president of the trial lawyers for the state. So we talk to people about all sorts of issues. The consultation is always free, and that's what we do. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean, Bryant. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, Tom Bernard Show. Andy's in, JB's in, Mike Molina's in. I think Tim Harmston from Acme is going to be coming in later on today. He is here. We also have a guest in the third. Oh, Tim's there. Okay, yep. good. Yeah, Excellent. hello. There he is. It's me. You notice that I they kept Mordahl off this show so I, because he, <laughs> I penalized him for mispronouncing your name. Thank you. I was hoping that would happen. I was getting ready to write a letter. I don't, <laughs> I don't blame you. I don't blame you. We worked it out on Twitter, Attic. so... Well, I'm glad. Good. Good. I'm glad. How did he mispronounce Tim? Tim Harmstead. Not Tim. Oh. He said Tim Harmstead. <laughs> yeah. The very famous Tim Harmstead, <laughs> let me tell you. Yeah. Coming from a guy whose name is mispronounced probably more than any other comedian in the country. Mordell. No, Mordell. No, no, no. Mordell. <laughs> so. It's true. You know, he's going back on stage, though, which is, I think is wonderful. He is? That's great news. Yeah, I heard start that. touring again. Yeah. Good. He's such a funny, funny person. And, and coming up the ladder when I was just, a, you know, starting, he, he came up to me, and I've never told him this, so I hope he's listening, but he came up to me at the Minnesota Comedy Club, which was in Maplewood a long, long, long time ago, and he said... He goes, that joke that you wrote is really funny. And then he turned and he walked away, like out the tour. But it meant the world to me. I was like, oh, my God. Sure. Dave thinks I'm funny. That's great. So it really gave me confidence. I understand. Well, I can guarantee he's not listening because that would make, uh, take me from that. So, yeah. I guarantee he's not listening. <laughs> he's he's uh, writing jokes right now. <laughs> yes, that's what he's doing. That's exactly it. So things are good. Uh, Tim is at Acme tonight and tomorrow night. Tons and tons of people in town. Molina's crabbier than hell because mm-hmm. he can't get around. The traffic is horrible, so he's uh, lighting up JB like a Christmas tree. <laughs> he but is. Um, well, but he doesn't. I, I, his work environment hasn't been affected by it. I can't. I can't go anywhere. 
over on campus right now. Oh, I suppose, yeah. Because they have taken is that, is that bad, huh? They've taken over Mariucci Arena, Williams Arena. Oh, yeah. Our indoor, both indoor practice facilities, our track indoor facility, and it's like you know our teams are in season or about to start season. So the, all the teams that are in season, except for men's hockey, who has a bye week, all the rest of them got shipped out of town. Wow. And Re- wrestling. You said they took it over. Do you mean white people? <laughs> no. Well, I guess you could say white people because ain't no black people owning any NFL teams. Mr. Kraft no. took it over? Yeah, Mr. Kraft took it over. He just showed he up. Took over everything. Yeah. So who is over there? The Patriots are on campus or the Eagles? Are... The Eagles are on campus. So that's who's in our two, what used to be our old football football facility and, and also in our new football facility. So they're in both. Wow. Um, there's some stupid event at the Mary G Arena, which is our ice hockey yeah, arena, sure. uh, called the Farm Bowl, where there's sure. farm contests. NFL players versus farmers in farm contests. Yeah. What? Yep. Now, is that a pay-per-view thing, or is that? It may be on the NFL <laughs> network. Who knows? Oh, <laughs> you know, yeah, the, that's wonderful. The amazing way people are trying to make money off of this thing is is it's staggering, isn't it? Like yeah. the the amount of like bowls, like a puppy bowl, bowl a kitten bowl. Right. The, you know, watch TV. I was at the mall this morning, and like every single. Uh, store in the mall has some Super Bowl related, you know, trinket or shirt or hat or something. It's like it's unbelievable. Well, there is a sober bowl <laughs> on Sunday. Yeah, there is. What? There's a sober bowl. Lee, Lee uh, what's his name? Lee Steinberg is the host of it. Are yeah, you he, serious? He, he, he yeah. and, he and oh, yeah. Um, yeah, that's true. He and uh, Ryan Leaf. No kidding. Oh, yeah. Ryan Leaf, that's right. Ryan yeah. Leaf's yeah. a part of it too because well, if anybody knows anything about drug and alcohol, yeah, it's Ryan Leaf. Yeah, well, Steinberg's <laughs> an interesting story. You know, he was like the biggest agent, wasn't he? He was the biggest agent in the NFL, oh, yeah. yeah, for still many, is. many still, years. Still is and in the, a way. Yeah, and he, he kind of you know threw it all away with with alcohol, and then he made a comeback, and now right. he's representing players. It's really an interesting story, but but yeah, and Ryan Leaf, it geez, is. Liz. Yeah. And, you know, the fact that he threw away an entire NFL career. But other than that, you know. <laughs> right. Well, Ryan Lee's story, and they did a uh, 30, 30, 30 for 30 on him. He actually started stealing when he finally got kicked out of the league and he started yeah. coaching high school. He started stealing his high school athlete painkillers. Oh, wow. That's how he got busted. Wow. That's how he got busted. He Ooh. went to one of his players' house and was stealing painkillers. Wow. That's that's hitting rock bottom yes, right there. That is, and his yeah, mother sure is. His mother looked at him and said, "Yeah, it's time for you to go." Yeah, away. It, it sounds like he's kind of turned it around, though. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Him and I mean, that's got to be hard too to see the guy. Was it was it Eli Manning that right. was drafted one and two, and and Leaf went to the Chargers and flamed out in two years, and Manning went on to win two Super Bowls, and it's just got to hurt yep. hurt so bad for him <laughs> to see that, but. It's a good story if he's turned it around. You want to have fun or you want to work? You can't do both. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. You know what I'm saying. Yeah. Because I've never known of any NFL player that went out and had tons of fun and was still great on the field. So. Oh. Yeah, I don't know. I, oh, geez. Oh, oh, Brett Favre. The, the... <laughs> did we talk about that the other day? Brett Favre was. Yes, we did, yeah. Tim. We talked <laughs> about Brett Favre. You got rem- to remember the Raiders of the 70s and early 80s. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Lyle Alzado and, and, and uh, uh, Otis Sistrunk and yeah. uh, the, the guy they called the Stork and all that whole 
Kenny Stabler, that whole group. They, Ted Hendricks. Yeah, you're talking yeah, Ted Hendricks, Hendricks yeah. Right. yeah and they, they would have the Super Bowl probably was every other year or yeah. every third year in, in – um, Merlin Olson. <laughs> no, not <laughs> Merlin Olson. Yeah. Down in uh, New Orleans. And they would be seen on yeah. the streets in New Orleans all the way through the Super Bowl, even Saturday night before the yeah. game. Yeah, no curfew back then. Right, not for them. Yeah, and there was that great story of Taxi Max McGee for the Packers right. in the first Super Bowl. When, sure. And Lombardi had him on the sideline, and then there was an injury. So I said, all right, you get in there. But he was hungover. Some people say he was still drunk, and he bobbled that ball and won the yeah. won the game for the Packers. Wasn't he the MVP? Or? Yeah, I think he was. Yeah. He had, he had like, I don't know, six catches mm-hmm. for 140 yards on a hangover. It's <laughs> <laughs> really you impressive. Know, he and uh... – he and Mickey Mantle, Max McGee, Mickey Mantle. If your if your initials are double M, you got major problems. <laughs> yeah. Mickey Mantle. Honestly, oh, thanks. I guess, <laughs> I was say yeah, it. see, booze hound, booze hound, Mike Molina, double M. That's all I know. Yeah. But no, you know Mickey Mantle and Max McGee. Yeah. All, all those stories from back in the day. Those guys show up either drunk or severely hungover, and the coaches make them play anyway. Yeah, or uh, Joe Namath. He was a big party animal, wasn't he? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, we were talking about that, as a matter of fact. I think, I don't know if you were in then, Tim, or not, on the morning show, and we were talking about that, but there's a guy who was not very good on the field. He was just really good at showboating. I mean, his stats, his lifetime stats are not very good. Oh, Namath? Joe Namath. Yeah. Is he in the hall? Oh, yeah. He won the Super Bowl, and he's in the Hall of Fame and all that stuff, but his stats are not that good. Yeah, but you know the funny thing about him is that he came at the right time mm-hmm. with the right swagger yep, and right. the right attitude, yep. and he did all those commercials in a big mink coat, and uh, the ladies loved him, and he was instantly—he was probably, would you say, like the first instantly marketable celebrity yep. sports person, you know? Because before him, they didn't really do. Well, he also had that had a bar in New York. Yeah, that oh, God. Bachelor's Three, <laughs> right? That everybody <laughs> yeah. wanted to go to. Yeah, and be uh, and be seen. Yeah, and he had like, to put up with you know having Philly on his team. Right. That's yeah, right. Oh that's my right. God. <laughs> Philly <laughs> dog. Yeah. Oh, wow, horrible. I forgot about that. I think about it. <laughs> yeah, the NFL made him sell Bachelors Three because uh, mm-hmm. not only did uh, some out of towners like to show up, but so did the mob. Yeah, so. take some <laughs> why bets. Don't get, uh, why don't we get rid of that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's like, true. God. Yeah, I could you imagine yeah, a you player know. these days having their own. Uh, nightclub? I, do, I don't. Does that exist? Is there an NFL player that has his own bar or nightclub? I'm sure well, they. I don't think so. I was in the locker room of, of uh, Lambeau Field, and they have a big list. They have a big sign on the wall that says all the stuff that you can't do. Like, and it's like no gambling, no this, no that. You know, any any person that mentions the word gambling within this, you know, this this room is 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 in violation. I mean, they took it. Namath and who, who was the pack? Paul Horning got Horning busted gambling. And, uh, Paul Horning yeah. and. Uh, Alex Karras. Alex Alex yeah. Right. So I think after yeah. that, the <clears throat> Pete Rozelle must have been commissioner, and they just they they put it. And that was smart too, because baseball should have done that a long time ago, but they didn't. And yes. baseball paid a horrible price with Pete Rose. And his no, uh, you're absolutely right about that. Well, no, they they claim that, and I think I've seen this. And when you go into a major league baseball locker room, there is a sign. That yeah, there is that, now yeah. that's hung that says no gambling, and like, it's a it's a picture of Pete Rose with a line through his face, right? <laughs> no, yes. because his teammates, his teammates like uh, Joe, uh, what's his name? Morgan. Morgan, thank you, and whatnot. All said, yeah, that sign was in our locker room. 
don't yeah. know why Pete didn't pay attention to wow. it. Wow. So that was up before yes. Pete. Long, oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, so, I, Tim, I have to, yeah. I was, I have to ask you a question. Sure. Standing in the locker room at Lambeau Field, what's that feel like? Oh, man. I mean, that's got to be amazing to stand in there. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, I don't know if we've talked about this on the show or not, but I was before I did comedy, I was a, I was a, I worked in the film business as a, a, a set decorator and a prop master. And so I would I was mm-hmm. throughout the 90s, I was doing a lot of uh, sports commercials with Michael Jordan and and um, you know Brett Favre and and I was I was based out of Chicago so everything was shot with you know Bo Jackson and Ditka and Favre was coming on and oh yeah so we yeah. went up to Lambo to shoot a Nintendo spot with Favre and um, I was the the lead prop person so I I got there and, and the equipment manager said yeah come in come with me I'll, I'll introduce you to Brett and uh, we'll get you set up with all the footballs and all this stuff. And, and, you know, so I walked across the field and into the locker room. And there was Brett putting on his socks. And, I, you know, he went up to and introduced me to Brett. And, yeah, I was, and as a diehard Packer fan, I, my brain just couldn't function. You know, it's like I was just <laughs> right. drooling like, a, you know, like an idiot. I was a little all. And I barely remember it, but I just remember sitting there waiting for Brett to put his gear on just talking to him you know like oh yeah where are you from and this and that and he was interested in deer hunting and we're talking about that and then and then um we went to the equipment they have a big in the locker room they have this big counter it's like you know you just go up and check out what you need and you know wristbands or cleats or whatever and and then uh, i spent the whole day with brett and uh, i have uh, and then he threw me a, a pass in the end zone at Lambeau, uh, between breaks, we you know we used film cameras back then, and when the film would roll out, there'd be like a three-minute pause, and so I had my my boss hand him a football and point to me in the end zone, and Brett waved me across the the back of the end zone, and he threw like just a missile, like I could I could hear the ball before oh, no. I saw it. <laughs> and it, and it went yeah it went like right through my hands and hit me in the the groin, and I uh, I kind of like yeah yeah I bobbled it and it popped up in the air, and I, I was able to hold on to it and I ran into the tunnel and I thought yeah, I can die now <laughs> <laughs> no, no need for me to keep living and uh yeah that was my first uh, Brett Favre experience and and I found him to be a super nice guy like just just a big old hillbilly nice guy joking right. around but so was what did you learn from that story Tom <laughs> well the reason I asked him that story is because uh many years ago mm-hmm. uh, I guess I don't know 30 years ago whatever it was I went to the old Yankee Stadium yeah. right. with some uh, some people, and I went into the Yankees' locker room, and it all of a sudden struck me. Standing there, this is where Babe Ruth used to be. Yeah. I mean, to stand in the same locker room where Babe Ruth used to be, it just it yeah. really sends a shock through your system. Yeah, yeah, it is. It, is, it really is a... It, it, it's a, um, you know, I mean, I'm really into um, historic places, you know, like I, I right, go, I right. seek out places and I get like just electric, you know, like I, I'll go to, I'm in New York a lot and I'll go to the Dakota where, you know, John uh, Lennon was shot. And you just, mm-hmm. just, I mean, and not that that's yeah, a yep. good feeling, but it's just like, wow, and just kind of soak it up. And so for me being in the yeah. field, being on the field at Lambeau and catching a pass from Brett was just, you know, for a Packer fan, oh, yeah. it was just beyond anything. And I still, you know, and I, I did a lot of uh, work with Michael Jordan and, and handing him his Gatorade bottle and a basketball and stuff over the years. And so I got to shoot hoops with Michael a lot and during, you know, breaks and hang out with him and have lunch with him and stuff. And, 
And, you know, I just, it was a really cool gig, but being in Lambo was just the best. The reason why I asked Tom that question, because I was going to make the, the comment, see, nothing happens without an equipment manager. <laughs> just remember that. Yes, that's exactly it. No question that's about true. it. Just well, remember see, that. When I was there at Yankee Stadium, uh, obviously, <laughs> Babe Ruth was long dead, so instead of getting that experience, I just had 12 hot dogs like he would have. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it all worked out in the end. Yeah. yeah I got the feeling. You got the same feeling feeling so you know i would love to see babe uh, ruth in the league today by the way like <laughs> be interesting that would be interesting it's true we'll take a break be right back tim harmson in studio he is at acme tonight and tomorrow night right back tom bernard tom bernard here for whiting clinic lasik and cataract there's no better time than now to ditch your contacts and pitch your glasses whiting clinic is the place i trusted to do this for me and it's not just me there's a reason Whiting Clinic is the number one LASIK practice in the United States. Dr. Whiting's unsurpassed experience, the most advanced Contura laser technology, and lifetime coverage are all backed by Whiting Clinic's best price guarantee. Being the experts they are, they wanted to make sure you have the very best for your eyes, just like I did. Call now for Whiting Clinic's $500 off LASIK savings. If you're like me, not a big fan of glasses and contact lenses, then it's time you found out if you're a candidate for LASIK. And Whiting Clinic is definitely the place to go. Call 855-554-2020 today or visit whitingclinic.com to set up your free LASIK consultation. Remember to tell them that I sent you and save $500 on your LASIK. Offer good for a limited time. Call Whiting Clinic for details. Good for both eyes only. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Tom Bernard here with my buddy and CEO of North American Banking Company, Michael Bilski. Michael, this is a tough time for businesses, not only in the Twin Cities, but all over right now. Can you tell me a little bit about what North American Banking Company is doing for your customers? Tommy, at the bank, we're helping businesses with all of our tools at our disposal. Lenders are working as long as it takes with our customers to help them through these tough times. We've processed well over 300 loans for customers and funded over $70 million through the SBA's Paycheck Protection Program. Through our payment deferment program, our current customers were able to skip one, two, or even four payments with no penalty. Finally, being a locally owned and operated bank, we're able to move quickly and take action for our customers when they need us most. Why not bank with my banker? God, I can't tell you how great <laughs> it is working with Billski. Did you record that, Andy? Could you send that to me? North American <laughs> Banking Company, a better banking experience. Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. Oh, jeez. <laughs> this is for Tim. <laughs> Did I bring it down? Tim crazy. Uh. <laughs> you know, we were having fun today, and then he brought up a massacre. But other than that. You, know, you have to be careful what you say around Mike, because it's bound to be a song yeah. tied to it at some point. Good. Well, mm, yeah, it's very true. Uh, uh, Every time I'm in New York, though, I go up there, 72nd and uh, Central Park West, yeah. Strawberry Fields. Yeah, yeah, gosh, that's a, that's a sad moment. I didn't mean to bring it down. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was... I, was, know, I remember uh, when my mom died. And it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny Way because... Go, Tim. <laughs> no, but I remember speaking of, like, we're talking about football. Like, I remember when I found out John Lennon died, it was by watching football. Remember yeah. that? Monday Night Football yeah. and uh, Howard Cosell. Howard Cosell, yeah. And, and it was, was it the Redskins and the Packers, maybe? 
I don't. Was it the dolphins? Might have been. Or dolphins? Yeah, yeah. I remember I breaking news. Yeah, that was. I like to do this to podcasts. I like to come in and bring it in. I'm yeah, like the that's a good move. Uh, the dumper, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure all the all the stations that's on throughout the state, uh, Minnesota, they're really gonna appreciate it. Hey, uh, the show kind of knows Doc. Yeah, we got we got to book yeah. this Harmston guy. He really knows how to come in and cool it off. Yeah. Let's get Armston to come in. Jeez. I actually found out that he had died because I, I, uh, my mother was living with me at the time, and uh, I woke up because I was doing a lot of traveling for for Capitol Records. I was working at Capitol Records, and I was traveling all over the place. So she would stay at the house with a couple of my younger brothers, and I woke up and she was gone to work already. But on the dining room table there was a little note, and all it said was, "They killed John Lennon." Oh, jeez. Oh. That's what it said. I didn't say who wow. it was. It said they killed John Lennon. Mm. Wow. I will never forget that. It was uh, New England like, uh, and Miami. New England and Miami. New England and Miami. Yeah. We're, so there we're, you go. Was John Lennon on Capitol Records back then? Or was he? Because, you know. Um, on his, yes. He was. Wow. He was, yeah. So you lost. Uh, uh, well, I think it was that when rock and, rock and Roll had come out in, what, 79? When did, remember the John Lennon yep. Rock and Roll album? Yeah, it was 78. What year did that come out? 70, 78, okay. Yeah, I think so. Wow. Somewhere in there. I started at Capitol in 77, so, yeah, the, the Beatles were all still on Capitol Records, but they were all solo acts at that time, obviously. <laughs> but um, interesting. Yeah, wow. Very interesting. Uh, yeah, that was not a bad job at the time because we had Bob Seger, Steve Miller, we had the Beatles, we had all the Be- Beatles catalog, the Beach Boys catalog. Uh, it worked rather well. You could get a lot done by saying, really, yeah. you want that done? Okay. Yeah. Did you have the Chicago Transit Authority? Nope. They were on, I believe, Columbia. Were well, they Columbia yeah. or Atlantic? I just watched. I can't remember. I I just watched that too. The just, Netflix th- yeah, piece about that. That was mm-hmm. pretty cool. Yeah, you know? there was an interesting thing on them on Netflix and how um, um, the band just has gone through all these different twists and turns and whatnot. Yeah, that was great. I, and that Peter Cetera Ter- went out right. went out on his own, and it was kind of a. And the, the rest of the guys in the band said, "Screw it, we're we're forging ahead." And mm-hmm. and now they, you know, they got a new singer, and and uh, yeah, it was great. I love Chicago. But uh, did you get to go to the Capitol Records building a lot, Tom, when you were doing? Oh that? yeah, wow. That's a really weird thing because I was talking to, about a month ago. Uh, I was talking to Tina Sinatra. Wow. And we were talking about the fact that the, the studio is well, it was I, I assume it still is. I don't know why they would have touched it. But at the Capitol Records Tower, uh, right there in Hollywood, um, the studio where her father and Dean Martin yeah. and all oh. of those people used to record, the the mics are still there, the mics they use, the studio's still there. It's really, really fascinating wow. to go in there. That's got to be on the really cool. register of historic places. you got to figure that out. I would right? think so. Yeah, they couldn't tell. I have that, a great though. story to tell you about, about Hart. Oh, wow. So I'm up in the uh, executive vice president of promotion, Bruce Wendell's office, and, uh, and, uh, <laughs> Ann, is it Ann? Which one's the bigger one? Uh, Ann and Nancy, right? Yeah, Nancy. And, I think Nancy was the blonde one, right? And then, and then Ann. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe had a pound or two on her. <laughs> I'm I trying to be remember. nice here. <laughs> when I, anyway, the bigger one, she was there and she was going. Well, how else am I going to put it? Was she a big girl? Yeah, she had a big heart. Yeah, yeah the non-blonde one definitely. Well, she's for one, she's several inches taller than her sister. Right. Yeah. So there's that. 
So we're, we're up in the office, and she's talking, uh, and she's saying, hey, you know, I just want you to know that I've been working out a lot lately, and I'm really watching what I'm eating because I was getting tired on the road, and, and I'm uh, getting myself in much better shape, and I'm really paying attention to, to what I eat. And uh, I, just, I just want you guys to know that, so get, you, if you get behind this album and promote it, uh, I won't let you down. I just wanted you to let, me, let you know that. Yeah. Well, great. Okay, that's wonderful. So I'm sitting there talking to Bruce, and, and, and Steve, uh, Steve was a national promotion director. And, and as we're talking, I'm looking out the window, and I see Ann and Nancy get into a limousine. And then I see the limousine turn right, take another right, <laughs> yeah. and go to the Burger King yeah. drive <laughs> Yeah. I will never forget that. That's really funny. <laughs> yep. That was an interesting period because I was at Capitol from 77 to 82. Wow. And I just happened to be, um, be in, in L.A. when the Thriller album was released. Oh, geez. And I... I will never forget. Now that was not on Capitol. That was on. I think he was on Epic. Epic. Yep. Michael was on Epic. I think. It was, I don't remember for sure. <clears throat> it was or the Motown. F- no, it wasn't was Motown. Motown. It was on Epic. I it think. wasn't Motown. Yeah, and that came I, out I, that's in what I think. Eight, late '82. I thought that was right. Thriller. Yes, yeah. '82. What do What are your What are your memories of that? Like, did that come down like any like unlike any other album that had ever been released? Unlike anything. Yeah. Unlike anything, because you heard it, the second you heard that album, it's like, oh, my God, is this thing going to be huge? Yeah. Quincy Jones, I believe, produced it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tim, what, what, God, what was the, the guy who wrote most of the music for it? Don't remember his name. Very famous guy, actually. Yeah. Quincy Jones? But you, no, Quincy Jones produced it, but they had a different writer. Um, I, but the second you heard, particularly the title cut, yeah, oh god, you went, oh my god, this thing is going to be yeah. huge. Well, and they had uh, Eddie and Van Halen on the uh, on the guitar licks. Yeah, you know, it was. I remember that as a kid, and and just staying up to watch it on Friday night videos, and it was, it was literally, you know, the ki- every kid in the neighborhood gathered around a TV to watch it, and then you you would wait another week to watch it again and again and again, and it just never, it just went on forever. It was like a two-year uh, oh, two, yeah. news cycle for that album. And then Purple Rain came out in 84, and I think, yep. you know, that kind of, he, I don't think Prince, you know, rode that wave, but I think Prince's, no. Prince's release came out in the era of, okay, a mega album can sweep the nation mm-hmm. with this MTV stuff. Yeah. And, and so those two albums in between 82 and 84 were really amazing. It's- were you thinking of uh, Rod yeah. Temperton? Rod Temperton, there you go. Okay. Not Tim, it was Rod Temperton, there you go. So he wrote Rod those Temperton, songs. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow, I didn't know that. I thought yeah, Michael I wrote know. some of them, but I guess not. Michael wasn't well, I, really a writer. Not really, no. I think he, he would adjust things. and You know, I'm, I, it's interesting you bring that up, uh, the, the, the video, because that was the, the piece, too. So Catherine and I were out there. And, and uh, we're staying with a friend in Hollywood, as a matter of fact. And the Thriller album came out, and we were listening to it going, oh, my God, this is going to be huge. And then they said, a couple of days later, I got a call from Kevin. and I said, you're going to have a hell of a job ahead of you. Have you seen this video? I said, what are you talking about? What video? And they said, the, the Thriller video. I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. They said, turn on MTV. So I, you turn on MTV, and it was, oh, my God. That, that thing... Played over and over yeah. and yeah. over. Well, it was, you got to remember, <laughs> before that video, uh, black communities complained about the fact that there was no black people being played on MTV. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, mm-hmm. that got released, and it was once an hour yeah. that video was on. Yep. And it was like, 
And then Prince started getting played, and other people started getting played on there. And then you got to Yo, Yo MT, MV. Uh, yeah. MTV <laughs> Thriller's better, I think. Yeah, Starlight was not going to make it. Thriller is much, much better. And then having Vincent Price do oh, the voiceover yeah. on it was not a bad idea. Yeah. Did you ever hear? That was genius. Did you know that um, that that there was supposed to be an, a cut on that album? I believe with Freddie Mercury and. And Michael singing. It's called mm-hmm. there, There's More to Life right. Than This. Have you heard that song? I have never heard the song, but I know I know what you're talking about for sure. Yeah, and Freddie was like, Freddie was like, this guy, you know, Freddie came to L.A. to record the song, and Michael kept bringing a llama into the studio. And, and Freddie's like, I can't deal with this anymore. And he, he laid the tracks down, and he took off. And Michael was like, I don't know if we have a great relationship. Maybe I'll... I'll shelve that song, but then it came out like I don't know a few years ago, and it's great. It's a great track. It's called "There Must Be More to Life Than This," and it's it's really sweet and um, it's kind of got that um, you know the one he did with McCartney, that kind of a uh, pretty young thing. Was that what it was? Mm-hmm. Pretty yeah, young? yeah, pretty young thing. Yeah, yeah. Was that it? P Y T. Oh yeah, yeah. And gosh, it's it's a lot like that. It's just a really great track, and so um, I think it's on iTunes, but. Man, I love Freddie Mercury. By the way, I'm a huge, huge Freddie Mercury fan. So, I... Freddie had a lot of fans. There's no, there's no question about that. <laughs> but you knew, you just knew Freddie was not going to live a long life. No, no. He yeah. was a very, lived a very dangerous life, and he just knew he wasn't going to live very long. It's really sad, actually. Yeah, yeah. I, I was but, talking about that Freddie Mercury clip on YouTube about it, they put him next to Kanye singing um, Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, <laughs> it's God, one of the funniest. Oh, it's one of the funniest uh, <laughs> clips out there. It was pretty, pretty amazing. Well, but, Kanye is no talent whatsoever. <laughs> but other than that, every time you talk about your Capitol record days, the only only thing I can think think of is some guy sitting behind a desk. They're screaming smash. What? I was talking to the trades that scream and smash because they all were from Philadelphia or New York City, so they all had that accent. Yeah. And they were, hey, Tommy, let me ask you a question. My favorite is, Melina, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to, there's a minute here. I'm sorry, but I kind of got known because I, I handled pretty much the 8 to 10 state Midwest area, so I was going to St. Louis and Chicago yeah. and, you know, Kansas City and all over the place. I'm going all over the place, and then I'd fly out. <laughs> To Hollywood and this, that, and the other thing. <laughs> I'll never forget. I was kind of known as a guy because again, we had a massive catalog behind us. Sure. And if you needed anything to get done, you would give them, you know, Beatle catalogs to give away on their radio station. Wow. That bought a lot of influence. Yeah. I'll tell you that. Yeah. So I was known as kind of a guy that kind of, I didn't put up with a lot of BS. Like a, like a lot of record guys got beat up by the radio stations. Go, I'm not doing that unless you do this. Yeah. Well, I didn't do any of that. I just go, forget it. I'm not, don't threaten me. It's not going to work. So here comes the edit. So count it down. Uh, I get a call from Bruce, the executive vice president of promotion company. He goes, hey, Tommy, how you doing? It's Bruce. <laughs> I said, yeah, I know, Bruce. How you doing? How's everything going? Everything's fabulous. I just called you. I just want to ask you one question, not a big deal. I mean, nobody's upset about it, but uh, let me ask you a question. I said, yeah, Bruce, whatever. He goes, yeah, did you tell the guy down in Omaha to go fuck himself? <laughs> I said, yeah, I did. And he goes, okay, talk to you later. 
That's great. <laughs> it was an interesting <laughs> business. But yeah, they would they want you to do this, that, and the other thing. Yeah. And the other thing I did was I was the Capitol Records uh, autograph guy. Wow. I would tell people this. Almost every autograph, have it authenticated because almost every celebrity autograph is not really their autograph. Wow. I didn't know that. Yo, God. it's uh, Some of them are, and you can get it authenticated and all the rest of it. People are very, very good at that. But there was one guy that wanted me to get the Beatles to autograph an album for him. Now, the Beatles weren't together anymore <laughs> by 1977, 78. You know, they weren't together any longer. And they really didn't get along. Paul and John didn't get along yeah. well either. So he said, I, I just am not going to do anything for unless you get the Beatles to autograph, uh, you know, wow. the, I don't know if it was whatever <laughs> album it was. doesn't matter. But he, I said, okay, th- yeah, whatever. So it was impossible. Yeah. They were not going to do it. It was not going to happen. So I sent the guy the album, and I just wrote on it, The Beatles. And he accepted that as their autograph. <laughs> it's like, well, you got a problem yeah. there. It just says The Beatles. Yeah. So, you know. It's on eBay. I, I saw it on eBay. I think it was five. It probably is, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, would, I should look on eBay once in a while and go, ooh, be careful with that. I think I might know the person who autographed that album. Uh, yeah. There's a possibility. That it might not be everything you were looking for. Tim Harmson in studio with us. He is at Acme tonight and tomorrow night, and we will be right back. More with Tim right after this. Tom Bernard. Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Right now, Sabre and Bryant are teaming up to offer 0% financing for 36 months when you buy a new Bryant furnace. This is the perfect time to replace your old furnace with a new trouble-free, energy-efficient furnace from Sabre. And when you buy Bryant equipment, you're getting one of the most trusted names in the industry, this 0% offer is available for a limited time. Call Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning to find out more, and please tell them that Tom sent you. Sabre and Bryant, whatever it takes. Northern Metal Fab right off the interstate in Baldwin, Wisconsin, is a custom job shop specializing in large-scale projects. Northern Metal Fab is now hiring for all positions, including welders, painters, and inspectors, to provide quality craftsmanship to their customers. Northern Metal Fab is growing, and their growth is your opportunity. Northern Metal Fab offers competitive pay, excellent benefits, and more. Apply online today at nmfinc.com. That's nmfinc.com. Northern Metal Fab is the equal opportunity employer. Yes, and all of the things that I said that I wanted Come rushing by in my head when I'm with you Fourteen joys and a will to be merry All of the things that they say are very, very I love him. Bob Wells was uh, an amazing guy. Uh, another guy died very young, unfortunately. But he... The last time that I that I followed him around on the road, because that's part of what I did at Capitol, is follow groups, uh, acts around on the road. And the last time I saw Bob Welsh, he was reading a physics book. And I said, Bob, what are you doing? Well, I'm 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 kind of getting ready for the you know when the when the Big Bang comes. And I said, <laughs> what? And he said, you know when when like we go World War Three happens and it goes all nuclear and all that. I'm trying to figure out a way to create my own electricity so I can still play my guitar. <laughs> and he was totally serious. Had he, he been was smoking something there at that point? Well, <laughs> he was wearing sunglasses and a beret at midnight, so, you know, <laughs> the possibility. 
Wow. I will never forget that. He, honest to God, he, he, he was going to create his own electricity so he could play his guitar after World War III's nuclear holocaust. Man. <laughs> well, he's got a right idea, I guess. Got to do what you like hey, doing. Listen, my whole family. <laughs> yeah, exactly. My whole family's dead, but some people still want to hear hypnotize. You know, <laughs> whatever it works. But that part of the business was was great. I want to talk to you about, about your job. So how many years did, did you shoot film in Chicago? Uh, I, I went to film school at Columbia College, which is a, it's a huge uh, film and radio TV um, art school in Chicago. So I was down there from 1990 to about 2005, I guess. So about 15, really? 16 years, I lived in, uh, yeah, I lived in the Ukrainian village, um, you know, just west of uh, Damon and uh, Chicago area. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, and uh, yeah, I was doing, I, I started as a production assistant and then quickly moved into the art department because I was good at uh, shopping and uh, returning things. <laughs> <laughs> to Target, you know, and, uh, no, I to mean, Target. Yeah, but uh, you know, I don't know why I was born with like, you know, I had good taste for a for a you know twenty two year old kid, but I could, you know, the art directors and the production designers would send me out to, to um, you know, hey, go go photograph couches. You know, back then we had Polaroid cameras or whatever, so I'd get some sure. Polaroid film and go out and shoot couches, and they'd be like, yeah, you got some good taste. And so I just <laughs> sort of moved into that area, and before I knew it, I was, uh, you know, I was on set doing set deck and and props and so i probably worked on you know 500 to 600 commercials over the years and made a you know i made a good living doing that and you know i joined the union and and i'm still in the union and and, um i you know every now and then i come out of retirement if it's a cool commercial like i did the discount double check oh you do yeah i come out of retirement you know oh you did yeah i did one of those where uh aaron was in the classroom doing the um Yep. with a bunch of kids and it was really fun and so i got to work with aaron and and uh, yeah it was but it was great i had so many stories i mean i could literally talk talk write a book about it but you know we're working with michael um and bo jackson were two of my favorite guys because he yeah. bo was with the white Sox in the early 90s and michael was just going bananas after he won the first uh, mm-hmm. championship and so every every week was literally gatorade or mcdonald's or hanes underwear or whatever he was selling so we got to work together a lot, and uh, I did that for a long, long time and traveled all over the world. And and then comedy kind of came in because I realized that when you're working on a commercial, you're doing it for someone else, the client, uh, you know, Pepsi right. or whoever right. it might be. It's not really for you. You're just sort of, you know, following orders. And so when I, I, I went in and I tried improv at uh, Second City, and um, I hated uh, hated improv because I didn't like – Oh, I didn't God. like being on a team with, <laughs> with people. No, I, I know. I get it. Yeah. So I, I just I walked into Knuckleheads, which was in the Mall of America mm-hmm. back way, way back when, and uh, yeah. and uh, walked in and said, I'm going to try stand-up. And, and I did it, and I loved it, and then kept doing it. And while I was you know coming up the ladder with stand-up, I would still go down to Chicago and make commercials. and. And, um, but it was great because I could be, you know, I could work on a commercial for 10 days and then come back and have 10 days to write jokes and then go back to work. And, you know, so it was a good job to have while you're doing comedy because, yeah, it takes you 15 years to make a buck doing telling jokes, you know. So, so it was great. That was amazing. I bet you, you and I probably worked for a lot of the same people because, uh, a little before you said you started about 1990. Yeah. Yep. Doing commercial. Yeah. Because I would, uh, I did the voice of Gatorade for from like 1982 to I think 86 something like that. Wow. The 84 uh, the 84 uh, Olympic 
Yeah. Uh, that was an that was an interesting situation because the the '84 Olympics. I was on Gatorade and McDonald's and Sears Automotive, and I appeared on the '84 Olympics more than anybody. <laughs> You know, wow. just my voice did. Yeah. Because, but it was all because of Chicago, because I, yep. I was with A-plus was a yep. talent agency back then. Yeah. And I uh, worked a lot for Leo Burnett and sure. Walter Thompson. The same people you worked for, yep. I guarantee you. Oh, yeah. The same people that you worked for. Yeah. But it was, God, it was so much fun. I was, by then, uh, you know, late 20s, early 30s. So for for a 22, 23, 24-year-old kid, that must have been, I mean, it was, it was fun for me as a 26, 27-year-old. So I can't even imagine a 22-year-old. It must have been fascinating. Yeah. Well, I was the, the, the best part of my whole you know college experience was that I went from Menominee, Wisconsin, a town you know in, in rural Wisconsin, and I went. Yep. I said I got to go to film school, and I had horrible grades. The only place that would take me is this Columbia College <laughs> in downtown <laughs> Chicago, and it was open admission. So I, I you know ponied up the money, and I went down, and I lived in a dorm. Uh, at Wabash and Congress, right, like literally right oh, sure. in the middle of downtown. Of the this is and this is back when like uh-huh. the Palmer House and the, you know the Chicago Hilton. Oh yeah, and I the Trader Vic's and like all these like legendary things that were happening and and you know and 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 you would go down to um, you'd go into a bar. I would walk into any bars, eighteen years old, and then get a beer. No one would ask anything. Sure. You know, this was like you know sure. and all the characters that you meet in these bars and the. You know, if I wanted to place a football bet, I could just walk down to the neighborhood bar. You know, this was Chicago. And it was kind of like the last of the golden age of Chicago, you know, because the city really. Yeah, I know. You know, it's changed so much. But, oh, and Buddy Guy. Yes. Buddy Buddy Guy had a bar. You know, the legendary blues musician had a bar sure. called Buddy Guy's Legends. And so it was right down the street. And so that was my hangout. So. After class or before class or whenever, I would go to Buddy Guys, sit at the bar, and oh, who's this? John Mayall just walked in, or Eric Clapton came oh, in, and, you know, or Keith Richards would come in when the Stones were in town. Like it was, it, and I was, you know, I was just a kid, and so being in coming from you know small town Wisconsin to downtown Chicago for a couple of years was one of the most insane. We got we used to get we used to get a case of beer. This is a true story that nobody ever believes. We'd get a case of beer, and when it was really hot, and we'd go climb up into Buckingham fountain and because there's ladders in there if you, you sure. go you jump sure. over the fence you push up the ladder you climb up that ladder then you push up the next ladder and next thing you know you're in the top of the fountain like your own hot tub with a case of beer and we just sit in there and drink and and um, it was yeah it was one of the craziest craziest experiences and then i stuck around and did did uh, props and and it was just a great you know great way to to make a living and and meet people and have some good stories so I mean, what a fantastic experience for you. You said you were 18 at first, yeah. your first year down there. Yeah. I mean, right out of high school, you leave Menominee, <laughs> Wisconsin. You end up doing that at 18 years old. So you, I mean, you know what it feels like. Because I, and again, I was quite a bit older than you by the time, because I started voiceover when I was 25. So, yeah, I was seven years older than you. But still at 25, coming out of, yeah. coming out of Minneapolis, St. Paul, it still was fascinating to me. That there was that. As a matter of fact, to, to the first place that I went to eat down there all those years ago, when we went down to Chicago for that Hall of Fame thing, we went back to Gene and Georgetti. Oh, jeez. I, <laughs> I, I love Gene and Georgetti. Yep. 
Yep. Always have. Yep. It's one of the all-time. There's still a few of those old holdouts, the, the classic Chicago, yep. you know, like the Billy Goat under under uh, Michigan Avenue oh and Gene and George Eddie's. And, I, and, people, and I, I got kind of burned out on Chicago because I couldn't, I couldn't live. You know, if coming from a small town, I had to get in the woods. I fish. And uh, my wife and I camp. And, oh, yeah. And so I couldn't handle it anymore. But man, going down to Chicago for a weekend of just you know celebrating, or if you you know go down for Christmas and visit my family, and like Chicago is oh, one yeah. of the great cities that doesn't get enough credit. But I love it. But I, I it like my sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, it's my favorite city in the world, actually. Yeah, my, Chicago is my favorite city in the world. It really is. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, yeah, me too. I, I just do. So, but uh, it's a whole different deal going to Wrigley Field. First time I was ever at Wrigley Field. <laughs> I'm sitting at Wrigley Field watching a game. It's a magnificent stadium. If people have never been to that ballpark, you have to go to Wrigley Field. Yep. Uh, Mike Kingman's in town, I think probably with the Mets at the time. I don't know for sure. I think he was with the Mets at the time. Yep, yep. But he hit a home run so far that it hit the building across Waveland Avenue. Yep. <laughs> I will never forget as long as I He hit it out of the stadium. Yeah. Dave Kingman, God, was right? Wondering. Was it Dave Kingman? The, Dave Kingman. Oh, yeah. Did I say Mike Kingman? Yeah. It was Dave Kingman. Yeah. The tall blonde Dave guy, is sandy blonde yep. hair, big, big lanky guy. Yeah, boy, he could hit the ball. Yeah, I worked at, that was the other part of my story, too, is that I worked at Wrigley um, but the first summer I was down there and the second summer because I lived near the stadium and I walked over and I said, could I get a job as a security guy? So I worked in the bleachers for two summers. Um, oh, the, man. Yeah, and that I could write a book on that one, too, because, man, the stories. This is right when, like, cell phones came around, the brick cell phone. Mm. So you get all these uh-huh. day traders that would be out in the, the bleachers getting, you know, pretty lit up at around noon for a 1 o'clock game and on their phones calling their friends, like, I'm at Wrigley, come on down, you know. And, and man, it turned into a party by, you know, on a, a Friday 1 o'clock game at Wrigley would turn into a mess by four o'clock you know (laughs) oh yeah and they had like a yeah yeah, they had a little police station underneath where they would arrest people and i had people throw stuff at me and but man was that that was really the golden age of wrigley's coming of age i think was in the early 90s and then sammy sosa came and the energy got you know and ryan sandberg was there and, and man that was just that was fun and and i could only take so much of getting stuff thrown at me before i had to leave but I understand. People need to understand also that Wrigley Field did not have any lights. They could only play day yeah. games there at that time. Yeah, that was, was. When did they finally get lights? I th- it was a few years later. Well, I think the lights came in on eight eight eighty eight. I remember that it was August eighth, nineteen eighty eight. Yeah. So they had just started, but they still didn't do a lot of night games. It took them a while no. to kind of get into the night game thing, and then you know. But so yeah, most of the games were in the day. And in early April, when the season started, it was cold. Like that wind, oh, yes. would, wind would come off the lake, and, and and you'd sit out there for four hours, just freezing your butt off. But yeah, that was. We had a one guy one time. Uh, a guy, uh, my boss was pointing to. You know, he my boss would stand up on the top of the bleachers and look out over the crowd for people that were doing illegal things, and then he'd point. We didn't have, <laughs> which he was doing a lot of looking, and and then he pointed to me and he said, "Over there, over there." And I, I looked to my right, and there's a guy um, dumping something onto the, the the warning track, leaning over the wall, you know, by the ivy there, and dumping God. something. So I spring over there and I go, "What are you doing, sir?" And he goes, "It's my brother." And I go, "What do you mean it's your brother?" He goes, "It's his ashes." <laughs> I go, oh man! 
And so there's wind is whipping and this this gray powder is just like whipping all over the bleachers. And this guy is dumping his brother's ashes on the warning track at Wrigley Field. And, uh, yeah, that was one of the craziest things that I saw. And, and one time a guy tried to jump on the field. Like, if you know how they got, like, chain link? Oh, God. They got this chain link trap sure. yeah. so that, it, you know, you can yep. fall in it, but it's hard to jump over. But one guy was so drunk, a Phillies fan, and he's like, no, I'm going on the field, you know. And, and I reach over. I, <laughs> I catch him right before he goes, and I got him by, like, the scruff of the neck. And he's dangling over the field, and I hear the whole stadium. The whole, it was a night game, and the whole stadium – pointing and looking at what's going on at you know out in the because this guy is half dangling off the thing and the whole stadium and i'm just struggling to keep this guy from from landing on the field and then two more guys come in and we're just dragging this guy and his pants you know get stuck on the chain link fence and his 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 butt is just bare you know and the whole stadium is clapping and laughing it was one of the craziest things we got him up and threw him in the slammer and i'm sure the cops took care of him (laughs) threw him in the slammer did you, uh, wasn't there a singer, Andy, maybe you could look this up for me. There was a singer, I believe, and I can't remember his name, uh, who wanted his ashes buried under home plate at Wrigley Field. Oh, really? And I don't know if, yeah, God, I can't remember the guy's name, though. He, I, uh, it was like Cashman, or, uh, I can't remember the guy's name. But he actually did a song about how, because he died very young of cancer, if I remember correctly. And he wanted his ashes buried under home plate at, at Wrigley, but I don't know if that ever. I doubt that they ever let that happen. But I don't see anything. There's nothing at all. So, um, there's something. Oh wait, do you mean Steve Goodman? Steve Goodman. That's Steve exactly Goodman. who it is. Yeah. Okay. Big Cubs fan. So what, what yeah. was the song about? Um, well, well there was just a rumor that that happened. Oh, here we go. Uh, a dying Cubs fan's last request is what it is. Buried under home plate. It's about that. Um, apparently, in 1988, they did make it happen. They did make it, so it actually did happen. How cool is that? Yeah. Oh, wait, they went. He was buried out in left field. Oh, left field, not under home plate. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic story. There's a lot Tim, of thanks ashes. so much. Great story. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, There's a lot you. of ashes at Wrigley Field. We found that out. Oh yeah, yeah they had to make it like you can't do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, they did. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, 2016. No more ashes at Wrigley Field. We'll talk to you tomorrow with the family.